Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. This episode is brought to you by Tidio, the highest rated live chat software on Shopify. Tidio helps Shopify merchants gain and retain more customers with personalized shopping experiences and automates up to 47% of recurring questions. Increase customer satisfaction and sales with personalized shopping experiences. Visit Tidio.com slash WWS to find out more and start using Tidio Premium with a discount exclusively for winning with Shopify listeners. Now over to your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone that's not tuned in before, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. And anyone that's watching on YouTube will notice I am currently in my Friday outfit. I've, I don't think I've ever worn a hat on the podcast or, uh, or, or certainly worn a jacket like this. So lovely to have you all with us. If it's your first time, huge welcome to, uh, to our audience uh, to be listening in. If you've been listening for some time, welcome back. Pleasure to have you with us. I do want to flag something really quickly that um, we've seen a slight decline in this. I thought I'd shout it out if you guys do want to get involved. If not, absolutely fine. It saves us loads loads of time. Um, But we would love to hear from you guys. So if you're having any challenges with your Shopify store or e-commerce in general, any business things that you want to overcome, improve or scale up on or get better at, please reach out. We want your questions. We want some of your challenges. This podcast is not so much for me to do lots of talking and and, and talking to lots of our guests. It's for you guys to learn and to grow and to develop. So feel free to reach out to us on the website, winningwithshopify.com, fill out any of the forms. Quick secret on our marketing is they all come through to the same inbox. So send out any questions you guys have got, any episodes you want us to cover, equally if you want to sponsor or think you want to come on the show and talk about your e-commerce store, which I might regret saying this, but please do reach out. Um, We'd love to uh, love to have a look. Um, today, we are continuing our series all about customer service. So we're talking about engaging with customers. It's been a lovely lead-in as well, um, talking with uh, retention.com and so many people uh, looking at lifetime value and that sort of thing for the last three months. So if you missed any of those episodes, go and check those out. Um, but today, we're going to be continuing this series about customer service. I'm delighted to be joined by a very special guest called Nate, who is an e-commerce entrepreneur, author, and business broker. So Nate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's a pleasure to have you with us. And as we ask all of our guests, why don't you give us a quick overview to your background, which is very interesting, um, and then leading into equally as interesting what you were working on today. Absolutely. Well, I've been an e-commerce entrepreneur for over a decade. I was trying to buy an e-commerce business, a supplement business, and it didn't pass due diligence. That's the the part where I'm looking into seeing if the business does what it actually says it does. Didn't end up working out, but I learned so much about the business and the vitamins and supplement niche anyways that I decided to go ahead and start one up myself. So I hired programmers and developers before Shopify's in 2012 and um, went through the process of trying to figure it all out on on my own and went through a bunch of bumps and bruises. But in uh, later 2012, I found a very specific niche of traffic. Um, and I started using these cost per acquisition affiliate networks to sell vitamins and supplements. And it became a bit of a, a math formula. I had to spend $90 to acquire a customer, and then I was going to earn $110 over time. And I got real good at it. And over the course of a decade, I sold $109 million worth of vitamins. And I also built some technology. I sold a a technology platform to a shopping cart called Sticky.io, kind of a a back-end CRM instead of of like Shopify, which handles a lot of the front-end part. 
and um, I became a business broker. I, I love the buying and selling process. I met the uh, the co-founders of Website Closers. It's the largest marketplace of $1 million to $150 million e-commerce, internet, tech, digital businesses. I decided to join forces. I bought a franchise, and uh, here I am in Puerto Rico. Uh, I've got two associate brokers. We've got over 103 businesses listed for sale right now, so it's a big marketplace. Wow. I mean, that is a lot of businesses, a lot of businesses indeed. Um, we're going to come back to some of these points as we go through. But first thing, you mentioned affiliates. And I'm sure lots of our listeners, their ears would have pricked up hearing that thinking, sorry, you agreed to pay X amount for a new customer and you knew what you were going to make back. So for anyone who's missed any of our affiliate episodes, which we haven't done one for a little while now, what on earth is an affiliate and how do I get one is, is probably one of the questions I think our listeners would want me to ask. Yeah, well, I found it by going to an affiliate ch- uh, trade show called Affiliate Summit. The affiliate Summit happens twice a year. Um, they also have a ad world and affiliate world, which happens um, in Europe and also in Asia and other places. So I kind of took the old school approach. I went to a trade show and I started talking to affiliate networks, which essentially are like traffic brokers. So they have all the connections with the individual affiliates as a relationship. And then they're looking for advertisers, the people who want to, to leverage the affiliates for sales. So that's the approach that I took. And uh, it worked on swimmingly for me. I, I, I talk a lot about that in the past. If people Google Nate Lind, uh, you'll see podcasts where I've been talking to, you know, on the, uh, the ClickFunnels podcast and other podcasts about affiliates and affiliate marketing. I became an expert on it and used to do a lot of trade show speaking and hosted my own events around it as well. So the, the best way, for, in my opinion, to find one is to work through an affiliate network uh, or go to an affiliate trade show and like go booth to booth and talk to the affiliate networks about what you sell and see if they have affiliates that sell that type of thing as well. Nice, nice. I said I that the affiliate market is something that I know a lot of brands test and a lot of completely fail in it. It doesn't work at all. And often it's not the case that affiliates wouldn't work is that they've done it incorrectly. So I think finding a good way to do it, I mean, on paper, it's fantastic, isn't it? You agree with someone, you're going to send traffic to me. I'm going to pay you X amount of sales. That could be 10% of every order I get, or it could be, I'm going to pay you $10 every time somebody buys from my website as a result of you sending them to me. So you've almost got a guaranteed buy price of, of a customer, which is just brilliant. But as I say, it can be done very badly, very easily as well, if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, that's the thing. You have to really be uh, dialed into the performance speed uh, of your the loading speed time of your your store. You have to make sure that you run it through you know all the different analytics. There's uh, GT metrics. There's Google has Page Insights and some other you know systems you can use to take a look at how fast is your your website loading. What's your conversion rate? How well are people actually clicking through from your product listing to uh, you know to actually engaging with uh, the checkout and making sure the transaction happens. And it's, this is all math. It has to be done at the most efficient level. And then the same thing for the affiliate. They don't really care whether you make a sale or not. What they care about are the earnings per click more than their cost per click because they're paying for clicks and then they're earning money from you based on clicks. So they do their own math formula that they have to back into. And it just it helps if you can, if you can talk about this with an affiliate. And oftentimes they'll tell you what are other like offers that are brands that are winning, like they're winning the the bids. And then you can look at that and then you have to reverse engineer what what are your competitors doing? And then you've got to be as good, if not better than them, or you're not going to get the traffic. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, we're going to talk about customer service because that's today's topic, but I didn't want to miss that opportunity to hear about affiliates. And actually, I think we might get you back on at some point. So if people want to hear about affiliates, send some questions in or share your experiences. We'll see if we can get Nate back in the next uh, next few months when, uh, when, when, when time and topic allow is, uh, is always the approach. But Let's talk about customer service then. So you've you've run a business up until a few years ago. You've you're helping broker a lot of businesses. And it kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? Customers are the the single most important thing. It's where your money comes from. They need to be kept engaged. So let, let's let's start off with the from your perspective and your experience, how would you how would you define customers? How would you talk about how the importance of those customers? How would you look at it? Well, they're they're either your advocates or they're going to be your bi- your biggest critics, and your customer service probably has the most benefit or detractor of either creating advocates for yourself or creating critics for yourself. And whether you're looking for other customers to buy your product or you're looking for an investor or a partner or a private equity firm to buy your company, the first thing they're going to do for customers, if they're not sunk into the process of buying your product, if they take any brief moment to step back a second and think, I wonder what other people say about this brand. And a lot of buyers are savvy, so they're going to do that. They're going to open up another tab and then Google your product or Google your brand name and see what are others saying about you. And your customer service is your front line to be able to make that a pleasurable experience and have you know four and five star uh, ratings. If they're not doing it, then more than likely you're probably getting the, the complaints or people are you know screaming about delivery times or qu- product quality or that sort of stuff. So that's where I see is the most important thing keeps coming up over and over again. To make a sale, you need to be sure you're making your, your past customers happy and your customer service. Uh, they're the ones to really help communicate properly. When is the product going to get there? communicating with them, did it arrive? We used to use uh, outbound, it would be kind of like in a spot check, we would do outbound calls to our customers and we would ensure that the product arrived. And then we would also invite them to buy more for a discount and give them 50% off. And they could double their order or they could buy something for a friend or it could be a gift for somebody else. So we had outbound campaigns where we were, it's kind of like customer service, but outbound customer service checking on delivery and then doing upsells. And then you know, there's a variety of different ways that you can turn your customer service into a sales team and, and pay for itself because it's, it's not exactly cheap. And if you can earn a couple extra um, sales out of it, as well as making sure the customer is happy and, and the product was fulfilled correctly, then you've, you may have won yourself a customer for life. Hmm. Nice, nice. Right. There's a lot of things I could pull out of that to talk about. Let's let's start off with that love-hate relationship because you mentioned about somebody who's thinking of buying from a brand for the first time. Let's go with the most obvious one. They go to Google and type in the name of that brand and reviews. You know, what are people saying about this? Or they go onto YouTube and search unboxing videos. You know, what does this product look like? How does it work? How does it connect? What color is it? All this sort of stuff. Um, customer service sometimes I, I find is very disconnected from what I would describe those elements as, which is marketing. You know, the Trustpilot budget for reviews never comes out of customer service, or very rarely does. It's almost always out of marketing. So the marketing guys are like, we want loads of five-star reviews because then we can shout about it in our marketing campaigns. So I guess what you're saying, which you're not the first person to say this in the podcast, which is good, and I think it's absolutely spot on, is if you can harness that customer service interaction, publicize it on the web, whether it's on your own websites, on a review platform, you could put in some YouTube videos, you know, you could say to customers like, would you be willing to send us a quick video saying that? 
you know, is that okay? And then you literally send them a link. So they click a link, record a video and it's done. They don't have to record their own thing and try and attach it to an email. And it just goes, you can start to get some of that content and push it out yourself, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. That becomes really powerful marketing content. Usually people want to hear from someone other than you. So some of the best marketing and, and creative, you know, the, on the ad side is featuring testimonials from customers, you know, snippets, you know, audio clips, video clips, uh, you know, different testimonials from, from customers. And if you can get them, celebrities, that's winning on the ad side and the marketing side. So it's definitely a perfect example of taking a customer service interaction and turning it into some into some dollars coming into the company. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then I love what you were saying actually about the flip side. Oh, I guess a, a good way to word this is one of my favorite things about marketing is when you find what I would describe as these sniper tactics, where you find that thing where you, it might just, basically, if you could turn a formality, like a phone call to a customer just to say like, hey, did it arrive? Or a customer calls you turning that into additional dollars coming through your car is is quite something. And everybody would say yes to that. Of course they would. We're, we're all running businesses here. We're all trying to sell products on Shopify and acquire more customers to do that and make money. So I love that concept you just explained with the outbound sales calls. So offering them 50% off or I think, I think you might have mentioned, and if not, I'd be keen to get your thoughts on this anyway, actually making a phone call between them making the order and the order even being dispatched and saying, did you find what you wanted today? Would you define this product you've ordered as perfect? Because I have the ability to change that order for you. I can add more to it. I can put a more expensive one in you know, whatever it might be. But certainly having that conversation with a human, it brings the offline world into, into digital, doesn't it? Having a, an actual conversation with someone who, let's face it, they'll know way more than any customer because they are the brand. Absolutely. And I think Shopify has done a great job about having text interactions. So, you know, oftentimes I'll make an, I'll make an order and then I'll get something on my phone and I'll think to myself, holy cow, like it's, it's telling me exactly when it's going to be shipped, ex an expected delivery time frame, uh, and th that sort of messaging is welcome. So that's one of the one place that you can use, you know, more, I guess, on the tech side than necessarily like a, a human calling. Uh, but I love that. Like as a, as a customer, that makes me light up. That would be a great opportunity after that confirmation of what shipping, maybe slip in a little, you know, now's another opportunity. Oh, we've got an extra special discount for you. You know, we can add another bottle of this or another piece of that, something, something like that, which, uh, you know, probably low friction since you've already acquired the customer, you've already paid for the interaction, just get a little extra revenue from them and make them delighted that they just got a deal because you know how they're all bargain hunters. Like everyone's looking for a deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we won't go into it today, but if anyone's thinking like, okay, I don't want to discount my brand by offering discounts or deals or cheapen the actual brand message. And, you know, the, the, although we sell this product at this level, it's actually not really worth that, which is why we discount. So there are other ways to offer deals where actually you offer a free sample of something or you say to people that you can earn loyalty points and get a free product. Free sometimes is worth more in terms of a proposition for how you price your product. But again, it, I, feel like, I feel like a broken record saying this, Nate, but we say almost every week, depends on your brand because one brand actually discounts are important and it is a race to the bottom while still being profitable to get the volume of customers. But for, for most businesses, it's not about that. It's about value. Why would you buy from us over somebody else? It's never the, or very rarely the price, but there are certainly pricing models you can put in place. And I think having someone phone you and say, yeah, if you, you did you know you, the, the, the product you've ordered, if you bundle it with two more, then one of those products is free. So actually, if you double the size of your order, you triple the size of what's going to arrive. 
which I think is also quite clever. And something else I would say, like putting on my business broker hat for a moment, the number of, of businesses I see for sale, uh, it is not a good thing to try to grow customer base and grow volume without also growing profit. Businesses do not sell based on a revenue multiple. They sell on a profit multiple. And until you get into you know, venture capital land and Silicon Valley unicorn you know, madness, that's about the only place those smaller businesses are valued based on acquisition of customers uh, or on the revenue uh, or on you know, page looks and number of users that are interacting with it. But for an e-commerce brand, for like a Shopify store, you need to make money. That's the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we we've only had uh, we've had him on three times before, but we've only had one business broker on. So to ask you um, quite an interesting uh, question, I think is there are going to be loads of people listening right now that are thinking one day I'll sell the business, and we've made the point before as well. Even if you're not going to run the business like you would as if you were going to sell it. Because then you you run the books properly, you report on things properly, and you focus on the thing you've just mentioned, which is profit. So then you, you're not scaling up a problem, I, I often say. Um, but when you're looking at valuing a business as a broker, you're valuing a Shopify store to decide to sell it, who to sell it to, how much it's going to cost, what the transaction is going to look like, what the deal size might be, the handover from the old owner, all this kind of stuff. How do you assess customer service? Bringing it back to today's topic, how do you look at that? What are some of the things that you're investigating to decide the value, the size, and the complexity of selling this this business? Yeah, the customer service, again, that goes back to the reputation of the brand. So I'll go and, and Google the brand and make sure that there's like good press about it, which is all the reviews. Uh, and every buyer will. You, you can't get away from it. You, you can Customers can help you sell your business and they can absolutely sabotage any effort that you have to sell your business. If the first page of Google is showing nothing but complaints, it's going to be really hard for somebody to want to buy the business. If the whole first page is like five-star reviews, Trustpilot, Amazon, like on other marketplaces, and then also like all of your own reviews showing on your own Shopify, uh, on, your, on your own store, those are going to bring loads of attention because that excites somebody that's interested in maybe you know acquiring the brand is they want to they want to take something that's special they don't want to take somebody's you know trash it it just it it's not going to work out for them yeah absolutely um, so that's that's probably the number one thing is the reputation yeah yeah and I mean certainly with reputation again caveat depends on the business but there's so many different ways you need to manage that I think we've spoken about customer service and customers leaving reviews I think there's also this I would almost say a hybrid between a customer review and the business themselves making a claim. And that would be almost like professional reviewers. So I mentioned very briefly the unboxers on YouTube, but I think certainly finding, and, and you've mentioned celebrities as well, or we could call them influencers, um, you know, it's a similar term. You can be an influencer without being a celebrity, but almost all celebrities are influencers because um, they're influencing buying decisions. So that that's a whole nother sphere, isn't it, in terms of how you deal with reputation. But the good news about that is to some degree you can manufacture that a bit more and it's a bit more hard hitting to go here's a like I saw a phone case the other day it was being dropped from hundreds of meters in the air and they dropped a phone in this phone case does it smash and then they tested all the other cases on the market and concluded ours is absolutely the best again that's something you can manufacture it's very powerful but also if those kind of reviews are manufactured you know if an influencer says you know I, I've recently been on holiday to this destination using this travel company and I had a terrible experience people aren't going to go and buy from that travel company anymore so i think with reputation it's not always it's not always getting rid of just the bad stuff 
and th- we've done a whole episode before on how how good bad reviews are um but there's certainly an element of looking at looking at every element of reputation as well it's not just those reviews is it no it's uh it, it's all factors you know we have to make sure that the customers are handled you know there's going to be a process where the buyer is going to be digging into the ba- you know the meat of the business and they're going to want to want to understand how is the customer service performed um then the cost of it like there's metrics you know that go into it as well you can i've seen people throw way too much money into customer service and it, it doesn't have the same amount of effect if you're you know spending more than you know four or five percent of your gross revenue on customer service i can say that you're an outlier uh, you know, if you're spending 10%, holy cow, like you're a super outlier. Most companies and their financials and books that I see, they're spending somewhere between 2 and, and 4%, maybe as high as 5% on their customer service. But it's it's not a lot and definitely not as much as your inventory or your marketing. Like those are your, your top two expenses typically. And then customer service will come in, you know, far behind that. So just kind of understanding how some of the numbers work. Um, your refund rate, you know, understanding what's your, what's your refund rate, which your customer Customer service is directly responsible for, you know, a lot of retail uh, and you know digital and brick and mortar retail. They've got you know certain thresholds for uh, for refunds, and if you're refunding way too much, that's someone's gonna you know scratch their head and want and ask why. You know that could be you know a lazy customer service uh, you know representative who's just like giving out refunds and and not actually addressing customer concerns and they're just you know kind of trying to get through the 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 barrage of calls or texts or emails or social media outreaches you know however your however your customer service is dialed in and which by the way they need to be dialed in through all of those platforms if you're old school and you only have email and you don't have any inbound like you know phone setup uh, or phone agents if you don't have anyone monitoring uh, social media if you plan to start growing into seven figures you got to get that stuff set up yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and um we spoke with a client this morning i'm going to share this quickly because this is something that i've never seen it on this level but again another thing to make your business profitable it's exactly on this it's very similar to returns and it creates returns but you can avoid these returns is we spoke with a client this morning and if you're listening client because i know you listen to the podcast we're not going to mention your name don't worry um but the client they said to us that i think it was a 20 to 25 percent of all orders that come in get refunded because they pick the wrong product when they're sending them out so you can imagine the pain. And I, I've had it before where I've ordered products, like I've ordered a pair of shoes once, the wrong size turned up. So I, they, and also they charged for returns. And of course I complained and said, but you've sent the wrong pair and here's a picture. They covered the cost of it, but covering the cost wasn't even the real cost. Somebody at their end had to manually type in, Nick's going to get a free refund or get a you know free pair and we need to offer him something here. So it was all the financial cost of my order, plus someone actually had to manually go and do that because they had no process to deal with that, which I think comes back to one of the biggest challenges with this that you've just outlined very well is, is cost. And I think understanding the cost of sending uh, of returns is not necessarily just how much is, does the customer service team cost plus returns. There's other costs of how often does this reach the you know the person that's selling the business, the founder. How often does the founder have to get involved and make one of those phone calls of it's the biggest order we've ever had. You know, you've ordered ten items from us. We're really sorry we failed to meet your expectations. How much? How much does that cost? you know, the founder's time. And then you, you who are sitting there looking at valuing this business and trying to sell it for them or potentially buying it yourself or however you guys operate, you're sitting there going, well, I can't buy this business because it won't function without you. 
And I'm certainly not going to be making those phone calls myself. So I think certainly when you're looking at the cost, the true cost can be so much more. But that's exactly what you were just saying, almost like the onion. You know, you keep taking layers off until you get to, until you think there's none left sort of thing. And then you can see the full set of numbers. Absolutely. There's an emotional cost too. If you're the founder of the company and all of a sudden you're having to handle some of these, these are serious issues. But the fact that a very normally a competent customer service agent or uh, or a customer service. Or, well, in that case, if, if it's operations, someone's just sending the wrong product, then man, I would be screaming about it. They are, don't worry. <laughs> They're very and for angry. for 20% yeah. or more of those orders. Yeah, like the emotional turmoil I would have as the owner. Um, yeah, I would be seriously, seriously bothered by that because that's not an insignificant number. That is like game-changing store closing number if that goes on for, for very long. And I, I've had some serious issues as well. Another thing the customer service can help you out with is they can tell you when stuff is messed up. Yeah, I, I had a situation where early on we were using a, a, a third-party logistics company and they had a carrier who was picking up our orders and then delivering them to the, the United States Postal Service. And that carrier went out of business. And my, my 3PL, my, my warehouse, they didn't think to tell me that no one was picking up the orders. And somebody was sick, you know, there was something going on, they missed it, but all of a sudden everything is stacking up. Well, guess who it was that told me? Customer service, when the customers were communicating that the products weren't arriving. Well, I had like not even a day. But that's a few Actually, days was, later, isn't it? It, it was okay. multiple days later. And, and, and unfortunately, that was a disaster. Like we had to shut down operations. We had to reboot everything. We had, it was game changing for us. We had to rebrand. Wow. Like it, it, we lost our credit <laughs> okay. card processing. We lost like everything. We had to completely reboot and do a whole new shift. Like it just in that space of time, customer service was able to communicate to us. But unfortunately, even in that situation, it's often too late. You've got to be very nimble. So, man, my heart goes out to your uh, to to any audience members that are are managing situations like that. You've got to be in tune with your operations and and your customer service. They can catch. Oh, they can catch some really good stuff. I forgot to mention this. Uh, they can catch if your affiliates are doing some nefarious sales. Um, yeah, they'll find out from customers that no, I didn't order this. Like, where did this thing come from? Because there are some sneaky affiliates out there that just want your. Pay payout and they'll they'll manufacture fake orders and then get that payout and then disappear they'll make you know a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand dollars and then disappear into the night before they get caught and customer service can often find that out like is this a fraudulent transaction and how you know what is going on here and that lets you know that you've got you know a nefarious affiliate on your hands yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I guess I guess my big question, I wrote this down a second ago, and then you started talking exactly about this, is actually the data that customer service hold. So I guess the question really is, what what is a good way to get that information out of customer service? I think there's and, and kind of on two levels, isn't it? What's the emergency stuff? How quickly can something get flagged up? So it's like our warehouse aren't sending orders or every customer's complaining our website's down. Well, why haven't you told the web guys? There's that emergency level and then there's probably another level underneath, isn't there, of what are we learning long-term? What are the trends? How do we improve the business? Uh, what questions could we answer on the website that everybody's phoning up to ask as well? Yeah, you definitely have some big buckets that you can have customer service identify. Why did the person call in? What was done to solve you know, the situation. Was that the real issue? You know, was that the only issue? Sometimes you can, you can identify they're calling in about, you know, maybe, you know, shipping timeframe. 
But, you know, something instead that comes up is they didn't understand, you know, the, the claim of the product or they didn't understand, the, you know, the nature of what, you know, what it was that it was supposed to do. And so that was clarified, you know, on the phone. So then your customer service agents like kind of backpedaling to, to continue the, the customer journey to go ahead and receive the product, use the product, give the product a try. Uh, and same thing too, you know, if it's, especially if it's an ingestibles, like particularly around supplements in industry wide people, you know, tend to think that supplements are, are magic pills and then they don't even take them or they don't use them appropriately. And, um, you know, there's, there's problems that go along with that and customer service has to guide the, the person through, maybe it's an appetite suppressant, or maybe it's a a pre-workout supplement. They have to educate the customer on how to use it. So they might've called in for wondering, where the heck the product is and the customer service rep then ends up spending time having to explain what to do once they get it. Uh, and that can lead you to then understand, okay, I need to be sending out an email about how, like, what are some effective uses of the, of the product or if it's, you know, anything that would require a checklist or like a recipe book or something like that around it. Um, you can identify that. So the data coming out of customer services, it's really important. Many customer service Companies don't offer much data. So if yours is one of those, uh, you may want to look around and just see like what options are available to you or, or just ask them, is there any other dashboard or data I can be getting from my these inquiries coming in uh, from our clients? I, I guess part of my question really is what sort of system can you use as well to get that information through? Because I think one of, the, one of the biggest challenges I've heard from clients over the last 15 years where we're running marketing for them, they'll say like, oh, I was at the water cooler getting a drink. And someone from customer service said, oh, you guys are doing a fantastic job, aren't you? And it was like, well, are we? Why Why do you say that? And it's like, well, the phone's been ringing off the hook. We've been taking orders all afternoon. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. I wonder where that's coming from. And they look at the web data and say, nothing's changed. And then they find out someone somewhere else has said, give these guys a call. They'll be able to sort this out for you. Someone's mentioned it on a radio station or something. Um, but again, having that data then goes, okay, we'll put a banner on the website immediately at the top of the site that says, if you're calling in from the radio show, please dial this number, which is different. We'll get you straight through to the right team. And that could be done in 10 minutes, but it makes such a big difference. But I think also those, those examples you've given are, again, as a marketing person, this is gold dust. This is my SEO content that I want on the website. It's my FAQs. It's, you know, how, how long should I take supplements? Imagine the amount of questions of like, how long do I need to take this supplement before I feel a difference? And then you got, and then the answer might be, if you don't feel it immediately, change to this supplement. But if they don't know that, and if they don't phone customer service to ask, they'll never know that. You could have this customer having a mediocre experience when all they have to do next time, when they order the next month's worth of supplements, they go, I'm going to take this one instead of, I was going to say blue pill, red pill, but I'm sure you've heard that joke a lot before. Um, but I'm going to take this one instead of that one, because actually I've realized that one doesn't help as much, um, which is it's exactly the same with pharmaceuticals as well. What works for one person won't work for the next. And that's where you need to keep trying. But if you're just selling the product on face value and feature, you're not going to get that information across. Customer doesn't have the best journey they thought they were going to. And ultimately, it's going to put less dollars in your bank account long term because they're going to find they're going to try something else eventually going, I'm not feeling a difference. You know, some of your audience members may not understand that the customer service agents, whether it's in-house or if they have a third party uh, company that's handling them, there's technology platforms that they're using to log the calls. And that information should be made available to you as the owner or your whoever it is on your staff that's managing that. 
And and it, at the minimum, it should have why is the customer calling in? What was done to resolve them? There's usually customer service companies tend to focus on like how long was the call? How many calls did they handle? Like, but honestly, that number is like kind of useless to the entrepreneur who's running the brand. The information they need is why is the customer calling in? What was done to solve the customer's complaint uh, or frustration or challenge? And then like th- and then start to analyze that information to look for you know f- to look for trends. Do I need to you know do more information on my website? Do I need to change some graphics? Do I need to send an email that explains how to use this once it arrives? Do I do that after shipment, before shipment? Do I do it four days after expected arrival? All of that sort of stuff is actually meaningful and will be communicative to the customer. But if all you're getting is how many calls you got a day or how many interactions, social media, whatever you got, and and then you know just some boilerplate of the number of transactions, that doesn't give you a whole lot other than maybe you can identify like if there's some trend that's going wrong with like operations somewhere because the number goes up. But the the data that's really important uh, are the ones that I specified. Why did they call in? What was done to, to solve their situation? Was there a second reason that they called in or that was identified later and then starting to think about how can you solve that to ease the customer service interactions and be more proactive about communicating any specific items to the the client ahead of time. Nice, nice. I I think you're absolutely right as well because customer service getting lots of calls also isn't a bad thing. It depends what they're phoning about. That's the challenge. So if they're all phoning going, I've got this product, it's amazing and I can't find the next one to buy then that's great. That's fantastic. And the customer service might not be taking orders. They might just be going, well, yeah, if you've got that one, this is the next one. It works really well with it. You know, if you've got a scent for your lounge, then try this scent in the kitchen. Because if you want the same sort of effect, but a different scent, yeah, we can advise on that. Go and buy it now. Um, But yeah, certainly the number, I can imagine people freak out and they're like, oh my gosh, customer service is going, man, it's costing me a fortune. But you're like, actually, we're, we're generating tons of repeat orders as a result of those phone calls. I guess a really good place to start to bring in bring us into land and possibly the final thing to talk about, which relates to all of this, is how much do we need to provide different types of customer service? And where I'm going with this as well is chatbots and AI. At what point would you have a chatbot go, here's all the information in our archive relating to the thing you want? And someone goes, great, I've got my answer. I've not had to sit on hold for hours. Versus, right, we can't help you. We're just going to get you through on the phone and a human can. Yeah, I think chatbox could be great for the stuff that's mindless. When is my order going to arrive? You know, why hasn't it arrived? You know, questions and stuff around that. Like the things that I, I think a lot of customer service agents are are answering. You know, 90 percent of the time, most of that could be done with the you know with the chatbot. If someone's going to the website or if someone's emailing in, uh, you can communicate about that. If there's like you know just sending something back, I I'm um, I'm a client of a luxury travel platform and uh, I sent them a request to make a modification to a travel arrangement. And I got back a kind of a mindless, like, we'll check back in with you. And then like the next thing I got back from them was answering a different problem. Like they hadn't even read what I had said about, like they, you know, they were sending me in a completely different direction. So that was a case where the, the whoever it was that was the human on the other side that was trying to answer the question didn't even read my question. So yeah, it, it, there's some things that I think I would rather a chatbot help me with than uh, than a human. In that case, with you know the specific, kind of a complicated situation, I need help from somebody. But the simple things like when stuff going to arrive, how you know, what is this charge on my credit card? Like you can you can explain some of that stuff, which is like black and white. Anything that's black and white, yes and no, I think would be great for chatbots and other interactions. But you need to be available 
uh, I may have mentioned it earlier, you need to be available through all the, the social media platforms. Your customer service team needs to be checking them all. Yeah, a lot of people now are creating dashboards where they're pulling everything in from these different platforms, We're using Zapier and other stuff to get it all in one place. The customer service agent can like manage it all at one platform. Yeah, yeah. If you're trying to do this yourself, you should probably figure out how to do that. If you're not ready to figure out how to do that, probably better outsource it to someone who can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, we've, we've had, I won't mention them because we've got a different sponsor at the moment, <laughs> being brutally honest. And um, our current sponsor is absolutely amazing. Check out the link in the description below in terms of how to manage customer service. But I think absolutely having everything in one place where you can use any AI and even the assisted things of if a message comes in and an agent, a chat agent can be responding to 10 conversations in one go, the AI's got rid of the first 15, 20%. The agents are dealing with the rest of it, but it's coming up with automatic recommendations or you've got predefined scripts in that system. And please, you know, the, it might be fine over for the sort of initial step, having them in a spreadsheet where you copy and paste the right one out, but having them built into that system so it goes, this customer's saying that my it says my order's arrived and it hasn't. So the chatbot can give me an up, updated order status. What the chatbot can't do is tell me, you know, it doesn't allow me to say it's not arrived. And you're telling me it has arrived. And that's where I think you do need a human. So again, having some predefined uh, messages that go, thanks for your message. I'm just going to query this with the, with the warehouse. Please stay on hold for five minutes. And it automatically sends a note to the warehouse going, did this get dispatched? Yes or no? Can you do a manual check? They can click yes or no, comes back, answers the customer automatically. Again, I'm talking, you know, when you've got a thousand orders a day type system, but there is also an element which we say a lot to our clients of don't scale up a problem. So there's very much an element of get these things right today. And then as you scale, you don't need to change much. You're doing what you've just been describing, Nate, of you're analyzing the data, making brand level changes to make your brand more effective to customers. So you sell more, you build more and you provide a better experience overall. Yeah, and I would also say, I'm put on my broker, my business broker hat for a moment. You're not doing yourself a favor if you're trying to manage all your customer service yourself. Because guess what? You've got to teach that or you have to transfer the team over to the person buying your company. Most businesses that are selling for under $50 million uh, are using a third-party uh, customer service company. So if you're over a half a million dollars, but you're under $50 million, you're not doing it yourself. At least compared to your peers in the marketplace. And that's smart because that's easy to transfer the entire business over to the next person by just saying, we need to update the contract from ABC company to XYZ company and then let the customer service agents and that, that like your sponsor, for instance, let them continue doing the work that they do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, I've, I've made tons of notes and we've been through, I think, almost a complete A to Z of customer service in, in just 38 minutes. So yeah, I mean, Nate, I really appreciate your time today. The, the biggest, most important question I need to ask every guest towards the end as well, and which I'll ask you now is, how can people reach out to you guys? They're thinking of selling a business. They want to ask you a question. They want to follow you on all the other podcasts you do, um, as well as this one. How can people reach out? You can go to my website. It's natelind.com. Uh, you can also find me on Amazon. It's Maximum Exit on Amazon. There's a contact form there. You can shoot me a message. I do free valuations and business sales plans. So if you're over two years old and you're selling more than a million dollars a year, uh, that's the starting point for my marketplace. That's where I can get you a million dollar exit uh, up to $150 million exit. If you're not there yet, 
keep going. The book is still great for you. Even if you're not looking to sell, you're going to learn a couple of things that you can do that are going to make you some more money. That'll make things a little bit easier for your life. Uh, whether it's uh, going to be easier for a buyer's life or not, that's the other question, but it's going to make it easier for you and it's going to make you more money. So I'd recommend uh, yeah, natelin.com or on Amazon. Amazing. Well, Nate, I really appreciate your time today and thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you, Nick. Great stuff. And for everybody listening um, at home or wherever you are at the moment, I always say home, but this is a work podcast. You might be in the office. Um, thanks so much for tuning in today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Back again next Friday. We're posting every week and we've consistently done that for a very long time now, um, at least sort of four or five months without missing one. So stay tuned. Hit subscribe if you haven't. Leave us a review if you haven't done that already on whatever podcasting platform you're using. We look forward to having you again next week. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.